0: gird your loins friends our session today is about sex and i want to give you a quick heads up so you aren't caught off guard this conversation is a grown folks affair so be forewarned and let's dive in it's about time because we're going there hi friends welcome back to another day of love is this is our series on love dating sex and relationships and it has been rooted in this chapter out of a book of antiquity that speaks to us in modernity thank you paul the apostle for writing a letter to the corinthians and in 1 corinthians 13 7 he says love always protects love always trusts so today's conversation i will be forthcoming will be the longest one in the series because i am passionate about this topic at the tender age of 12 years old i had the big talk the real talk yes i had the sex talk with my parents and Dad, I know you're listening to this. I have so much respect and love for you. I'm so grateful for parents who educated me on sex growing up because I feel like I have a healthy view and approach to sex that has removed the notion that sex is a secret or sex should be dirty. No. In fact, 85% of people have or will never have a conversation with a parent or a pastor about sex. So their education comes from television, social media, and friends. Yet, the health journal documents that 50% of all high school students will have sexual contact and a relationship before they leave their senior year. Those statistics are jarring and incongruous. My parents knew these statistics, and while I appreciate their zeal and commitment to be the first ones to teach me about sex, I totally feel scarred by the fact that my dad took me and my twin sister, Jasmine, to a restaurant here locally in Southern California called Marie Callender's. Now, Marie Callender's is kind of like a Southern food. And my favorite meal was homemade from scratch chicken pot pie with a side of cornbread. Mm, carbs upon carbs, honey. Okay. Now I thought that I was just lucky enough to go on a date with my dad, but my dad had a whole other agenda. I vividly remember being excited to dig into my cornbread and devour my chicken pot pie, but then my dad started talking about what, how, and when of sex. I slowly put down my fork, thoroughly disgusted at the conversation and have never, to this day, I have never been back to Marie Calendar's. My hope is that even after this conversation, you will still enjoy chicken pot pies as well as have a greater understanding for God's amazing gift of sex. I'm hearing so many people talk about sex in the most interesting of ways, in hushed tones and secret conversations. I'm hearing people wrestle in defining what is acceptable behavior for sexual beings who are trying to live sanctified lives, AKA Christians trying to live pure, married and single. I think we're prone to talk about sex and make this a topic for singles. But the truth is, is that this is a conversation for everyone. Because the truth is that many of us will have sex. Many of us will want to talk about sex. Rarely are people defining sex, but all of us want to enjoy sex. So I want to have language and understand some fundamental truths about God's best for our life. I'm passionate about taking back the narrative of sex. And it's something that is created by God that is awesome and good and divine, Now, I've mentioned this at the top of our series, but I think that we have allowed magazines and movies and media to determine, not only love, but determine and define what sex is and when and where and how it's okay. But this is jacked because the only one who could define it is the one who created it. Let me give you an example. As somebody with an art background, as an artist, if I create something for others to enjoy, I would be furious if someone came up to my art piece and tried explaining it and its function. No, you didn't create it. You don't get to define it. Well, the master artist, God Almighty, created this beautiful gift to be enjoyed by humanity and it is being defined in idiocy. Hello, okay? If we didn't invent it, we don't get to define it. So let's make sure we open the conversation to everyone in the room because this conversation isn't just for single people. Some of the people listening to this podcast right now, maybe you're tight-lipped and annoyed that someone sent this podcast to you. Maybe you sent this podcast to somebody and they're like, wait a minute, are you trying to tell me something? Yes. Maybe if you're married and you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to stop listening to this because this is the wrong podcast for me. No, 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 no. My hope is to communicate a wide picture of how, as we all step into relationships with baggage and issues from previous relationships, that affect all relationships. Now, it's true, the relationships, experiences, and people we have been intimate with us and have been implanted and seated in our minds from ages very young. Maybe the first time you saw a sexual image was at the age of ten. Maybe your first sexual encounter was at the age of fifteen, or someone against your will took innocence from you at a very young age. Hey. We carry that with us. These experiences affect who we date, who we marry, and how we engage in sexual experiences and activities. Can we, for the next couple of minutes, not let social media or pop stars or reality TV be our standards, but let's make the word of God, our standard of our life on how we're supposed to view sex. The reason we're tackling this topic in length out of this series today is because the sex narrative has been hijacked by the world. Maybe you're asking this question. If sex is good and sex feels good, then why would a good God not want me to have sex? Here's the answer. Because God is good, he wants to protect his design for bonding and intimacy within the covenant of marriage. If you're taking notes, this is what I want you to know. Number one, sex was God's idea. That's some good news right there, okay? So there, in the Garden of Eden, a naked Adam looks at a naked Eve, and in Genesis 1, in rhythmic poetry, he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, I shall call you woman. This is how we know Eden was a state of perfection because Scripture says that they were naked and unashamed. Lord, give me some of that, okay? Mm. But Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, Now, God is not talking about mathematics when he says to multiply. This is not a farming term. In the BIV version of this passage, that's the Bianca International version. It's translated, Adam, it's your honeymoon. Go handle business, bro. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So uh, these were the first instructions God gave. Don't be sleeping on this. This is, this is the first instructions to humanity. It was go procreate. The first instructions to humanity wasn't, please go pray. Please go worship God. Please rest and take a step. No, God said, get some. And I want to pause for a second and acknowledge the possibility of pain and hurt in the room. And I'm going to even say people might experience church hurt because sometimes churches have the best of intentions and want to protect people. But in doing so, we heap shame and guilt like a yoke on people's necks. If you were a church kid, of the 90s like I was there was this huge wave of conservative rituals where there would be like contracts that they would encourage youth to sign that would be like save yourself for the one or maybe you read the book I kissed dating goodbye all I heard was don't have sex don't have sex don't have sex don't have sex and there was a sense of maybe shame or dirtiness or it was something that only the bad kids did i remember being in high school and I went to this youth group at another church And I was there on a Tuesday night and there was a girl who had been leading worship on stage and i had seen her before. And on this one particular night, she was called up on the stage in front of the entire youth group. And she had to tell everyone that she was pregnant. And it was like this public version of shaming. I was so terrified. I mean, that made me terrified of sex because sex was associated with consequence and shame. But I wanted to mystify that because there is no shame around sex. In fact, Proverbs 5, 18 through 19 says this, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Listen, Beyonce didn't come up with the lyrics drunk in love. It was actually Solomon, okay? So in God's eyes, the covenant of marriage, it isn't when you have bridesmaids. It isn't the wedding dress. It isn't the punch and the hors d'oeuvres. It's not even in the vows. It's not even in the wedding rings. No. From a biblical perspective, do you know that when God looks down and says, oh, they're there? Oh, oh that's what they're doing? Oh, that right there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that act, that sacred act of being in a bed together, consummating their marriage. When a couple consummates their marriage, that is the act that seals the deal of the covenant. It's not saying I do. So if that is the act of marriage, what God considers to be a covenant between two people, the question I'm asking is every time that you have sex and that's God's version of I do is, are we saying I do? when we really don't with all the people that we are sleeping with see sex is a sign of fidelity and commitment in marriage and yet we pass it out like it's a pastime i have seen great potential relationships go horribly wrong because they've entered into sexual relationships without the idea of it being a covenant a promise a commitment for life they stop getting to know the person and simply focus on what the person could do for them So what I wanna do right now is I wanna take a biblical view of sex and a non-biblical view of sex. I wanna quickly go over this because this is gonna provide a framework. Bear with me. Okay, so in a biblical view, sex was God's idea. In a non-biblical view, sex is an impulse or an urge, like animalistic, okay? In a biblical view, sex is designed for the confines of covenant, aka marriage. In a non-biblical view, sex is whomever, whenever, because you want to. In a biblical view, sex joins two people in an emotional, physical, and spiritual union. In a non-biblical view, sex is for pleasure or to satiate an urge. In a biblical view, sex is to be enjoyed after covenant, after marriage. In a non-biblical view, sex after marriage is whack and boring. The reason I'm speaking about this topic is that there is power in sexual union. And the enemy knows the powerful grasp sex has over our hearts, our minds, and our souls that it could be so full on that the enemy will use it to distract and even destroy you from what God is calling you to. The lie is that when you get married, this will all disappear. Nah, bruh. Uh-uh. There are more problems that will surface if root issues aren't uprooted. Your sexual passions, distortions, addictions, they're still there when you get married. When you're single, the enemy is shouting, have sex, have sex, have sex. When you're married, the enemy is shouting, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. Now, if you are married and not having sex on the regular, please hear me. I understand that there might be issues surrounding it and very valid reasons. But if you are in a somewhat healthy relationship and you're not having sex on the regular, you are giving room for the enemy to come in and divide your marriage. Again, now if there's illness or military deployment or some sort of legitimate issue, that's not what I'm talking about here. There's no shame in this. I'm talking about withholding or not initiating sexual intimacy with your spouse. Which leads to point two. Sex links you and unites you to a person. When two people come together in the sacred act of sex, they are joined together. Literally, anatomically, bodies come together. That's why Paul says in First Corinthians six sixteen. 16, the two will become one flesh. So, sex is a tri dimensional experience. It's spirit, soul, and body. The problem is that we haven't publicly stated what sex is or why the Bible says that sex before marriage isn't the behavior that will bless us. To make sure that there are no questions about what we are qualifying as sex, I'm not going to use the biblical definition. I'm actually going to use a medical definition of what sex is. Medical definition. Are you ready? Sex between two people is hand to genitalia, mouth to genitalia, genitalia to genitalia. And if you don't know what genitalia is, ask your mama or your daddy, but don't Google it. Okay. Anytime that you have sex with a person, you bond with them. There is an emotional and spiritual connection that occur during sex that is holy and divine within marriage, but it is dangerous and devastating outside of the marriage covenant. Think about it this way. It's an illustration I've shared before. You might've even heard before, but I love a good fire. I mean, a beautiful fire. I love to sit there, roast marshmallows, talk with my husband, have great conversation, but it's within the confines of a hearst. Fire in a hearst is beautiful and warm. It could cook food and conversations are had. head. Fire outside of a hearst, fire outside of a fire pit is devastating and dangerous In Mark 7 and eight, Jesus says that two will be joined together and the two will be made one flesh. And then Jesus says in verse eight, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. When we think about the word joined, don't think of it as a casual word. Like I joined a gym or I joined a rewards program. When you look at the word in Hebrew, it has so much more meaning. The Hebrew word is Enoch, which means to be joined in the most intimate way. Let me explain it this way when someone is joined with another person sexually, a threefold cord is now made between those two people. You're supposed to be joined emotionally through intimacy, which we'll talk about tomorrow, joined physically through the act of sex, and joined spiritually through covenant. Society will say, oh, lose your virginity because everyone loses their virginity in high school. What Hollywood will portray as a casual one-night stand or what your friends say is just a booty call and it was just fun. No, you are actually being joined together emotionally, physically, and spiritually. When you have sex with that person, your body, your mind, and soul commingles and comes together. Dr. Daniel Amen writes in his book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. And he says that whenever a person is sexually involved with another person, neurochemical changes occur in both their brains that encourage limbic and emotional bonding. Okay, check this out. Limbic bonding is the reason why casual sex doesn't really work for most people on the whole mind-body level. Two people may decide to have sex just for the fun of it, yet something occurs on another level they might not have decided that they wanted at all. See, sex is enhancing an emotional bond, whether they wanted to or not. One person is bound to form an attachment and will be hurt when the casual affair ends. One reason why it's usually a woman who gets hurt is because the female limbic system is larger than the male's limbic system. Listen, this is not about gender biases or or anything. It's literally, it's science. Pick it up with Dr. Amen. Okay. So if Paul is correct in stating that two become one and you, a tripartite being made of body, soul, and spirit, you unite with that person. In the union of marriage, this is powerful and bonding and blessed and holy. In the act of passion with someone outside of marriage, it is costly against the will of God for your life and dangerous. In youth group, well intentioned youth leaders would try to strike fear in our minds and hearts by saying, If you have sex, you can get pregnant. If you have sex, you can get a sexually transmitted disease. Listen, I heard Pastor Mike Todd say this one time and it stuck with me. He said, I'm less concerned about sexually transmitted diseases and more concerned with sexually transmitted demons. I laughed so hard because ain't that the truth? See, here's the truth there is something called a soul tie. And soul tie happens, we'll get to that in a second. Soul tie happens and it could really wreak havoc on your life. So let's talk about a soul tie. Though this concept isn't expressly stated or this word is used in the Bible, when we become one, we commingle all of who we are with another person. So a definition of a soul tie is an ungodly, unholy attachment. You made, whether willingly or unwillingly, with another person. There is a union of a relationship that has a negative damaging influence over your mental, emotional, spiritual health, sometimes affecting your physical health. That is a dangerous soul tie. Okay. If you've experienced intimate acts with someone you are no longer with, it may result in an unhealthy soul tie. See, you've created a lifelong bond through a sexual encounter, but you only had a short term relationship. A soul tie, a bond, remains long after the relationship is over, leaving both sexual partners longing for wholeness. Dr. Patricia Love, author of The Truth About Love, writes that a feeling of intimacy is created by a chemical cocktail that is produced in the brain during sex and stays with each person for up to 24 hours after intercourse. And perhaps this is part of the physiological bonding that happens. So long after sexual escapades, you might find yourself mysteriously longing for someone that you might not even like or even wanted to be with. Why? Because of that brain cocktail. So in a podcast listening group of this size, I could safely and painfully assume that some people feel so connected to people that they've united with. And yet you are no longer with or together with. Like your soul has been tied and united to so many people, you might even feel like choked out, like you can't move because of the heaviness of maybe guilt that you felt or connections that you felt. I mean, sex used to be the thing that you used to fill a void, but now that thing is creating a barrier from connecting with people. Every time that you try to connect or bond or unite with current relationships, it's almost as if there's something holding you back. Your soul tie has tied you to people online, in life, or in fantasies that has kept you bound and unable to move forward. But today, I'm believing in the power of the name of Jesus, that some who have been tied up and bound will be released from everything that the enemy has tried keeping you bound with by renouncing a soul tie, by asking God to bring healing and freedom to in your life. Third, sex will not give you intimacy. As we're defining sex and talking about sex, sex will not give you intimacy, the thing that you should know about sex is that you will never be able to exchange sex to create a bond of intimacy. Intimacy and chemistry is formed with clothes on and eye contact. Having sex is no guarantee that the deep emotional longing that everyone longs for will develop. In fact, Dr. Alice Freiling, in her article entitled, Why Wait for Sex? She's, by the way, she's a non-believer. She's not Christian. And she advocates that people wait for sex. She says, sex is an expression of intimacy, not a means to Intimacy. True intimacy springs from verbal and emotional communication. True intimacy is built on the commitment to honesty, love, and freedom. True intimacy is not primarily a sexual encounter. Intimacy, in fact, has almost nothing to do with our sex organs. A prostitute may expose her body, but her relationships are hardly intimate. Okay, so no need to let me know on social media, but for those who have given away sex in hopes of keeping someone, how many have regretted it? And this is where you get to take an internal pulse. You gave a transactional event, but what you wanted was a lifetime of connection and commitment. And people ask all the time, but how do you know if the chemistry in bed will be right if you don't sleep with them? Listen, if your chemistry is great with your clothes on and you've left room for the Holy Spirit, then the chemistry will be good naked and in bed. Hello, take it to the bank. And if sex isn't mind blowing your first time, guess what? You get to practice and make up for lost time. Yes, yes, yes and amen. Lastly, sex cannot keep you from the grace and the love of God. And this is how I kind of want to wrap up this conversation because it might have resurrected some feelings. You might be feeling a certain way just given the conversation. But this is one thing that I need you to know there's no amount of sexual acts or partners that can keep you from the love of God, God is in the business of making all things new. You might be living with soul ties, but guess what? You could get rid of them today. Second Corinthians 10, four through five says that the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Thank you, my brother, Paul. See, we have the power to renounce the hidden things of shame. And what I'm saying to you is that sex has so much of a hold over you, maybe in your life that maybe you feel like you can't worship God. Maybe you feel like you can't go to church. Maybe you feel while everyone else is you know, experiencing revival, you're in the back of your mind thinking like, I have so much guilt and I have so much shame. I can't worship God. Or maybe it's opposite. Maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're like, dang, I'm going to Vegas next week and you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And so you're like, well, maybe I'll get my life on track and think about this like afterwards listen this is what I tell people like to turn up in Vegas what happens in Vegas leaves you with an STD okay let's just real talk let's have the truth but anyways listen let's talk a little bit about transgression and iniquity because some of us are hearing this podcast knowing good and well we're gonna turn up and we're gonna go sleep with him her and them whatever let's talk about transgression and iniquity transgression is when you know something's wrong and you do it anyway like you went past the line you knew it was wrong but you're still going to do it. Now, iniquity is premeditated. That basically means that you're going to continue to do what you're going to do without repentance, right? So the church wants to easily point out like affairs and pornographies and all that sexual sin, but we're never really dealing with the root of the problem. And maybe you're here and you're like, I actually want to stop. I know what I did was wrong. I knew doing it was wrong and I did it anyways. Or maybe you've been involved with iniquity. Like you actually planned, like you planned to sin and you're at the point now where you're like, wait a minute, I don't want this for my life. I love what Isaiah 53 five says. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was upon him and by his stripes, that's the stripes of Jesus were healed. See, transgression is like a wound on the outside. And he said, for every transgression that you've made, Jesus is taking it for us through the beatings. It says that he was bruised. Well, how do you get a bruise? You know that a bruise comes up from the inside? Ah, from the inside out. God took our sin, our shame, our iniquity, our transgression, and he said, I did this for you. And by my wounds, you are healed. You do not have to be controlled by those sexual appetites. You don't have to be afraid of intimacy from abuse of your past. You don't have to be addicted to pornography. This does not have to break you because Jesus said in the act of communion, this is my body broken for you. When he was getting beat and he could have gotten out of that beating, he was the son of almighty God. He said, no, as he took the beating, he thought of you. He thought of me. And so today we get to surrender our sexual urges and desires, our sins and our iniquities, our losses and our hopes. We have to surrender our sexuality to God so that we won't ever be slaves to our flesh. Now, if you don't want to break this sin cycle for yourself, at least break it for your children. Because the Bible says in Deuteronomy that sins and iniquities will follow us three and four generations. So many of us are dealing with issues and sins that our parents never dealt with, that no one ever talks about. But today, I want you to not only do it for yourself, make a decision to walk away from sexual sin and iniquity and transgressions because you're thinking about the next generation. I want to pray over us today, and I don't usually pray after podcasts, but I firmly believe that what James says, that when you confess your trespasses amongst the brethren, you'll be healed. And I know that this is a podcast, and I don't know who's listening on the other side of this, but I firmly believe that today the Spirit of God dropped a seed in your heart and maybe you need to go tell your pastor your friend your accountability where you've been at and what you've been struggling because James tells us when we confess our trespasses God is just to forgive us so friends I want to pray for us and remind us that this is what love is not only what love is this is what love does there's no condemnation in Christ for whatever we've done and I pray through the power of the spirit of God that you experience freedom in ways that you never knew So Spirit of Living God, we thank you for this podcast. We thank you that you are a good and gracious God who could forgive us of all of our sin and iniquity. And Lord, we thank you for the precious act of sex that brings people together. I pray for marriages, Lord God. I pray that you renew marriages, that you restore marriages, that marriages become passionate, and I'm gonna say even lusty. God, that husbands and wives begin to lust after each other and that wounds and maybe trauma from abuse can be healed through the act of love through spouses. For those that are single and wrestling with temptation and sexual temptation, sexual addiction. I pray, Lord God, through your spirit that you give those people that are in need your power to say no to the temptation that the enemy is throwing their way. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. And we honor you today with our bodies, our minds, our hearts, and our wills in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Friends, it has been my honor to have a hard conversation. I hope that it blesses you. I hope that you have practical handles, and I hope that you know the power and the beauty of sex that God has created. If this podcast has been a blessing and has met you where you're at, would you mind sharing it with your friends and loved ones? You can go ahead and tag at Bianca Oltoff or leave a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. I love you and can't wait to talk about intimacy tomorrow. And because you're loved, the team here at We're Going their Podcast and In the Name of Love Ministries have decided to give away six video teachings and a free PDF so that you can take this curriculum and do it with your friends, your loved ones, or completely alone. This is great for small groups, for community groups, or just for you and your friends to have a conversation about what love is, what love isn't, and relationships. You can go to biancaoltoff.com backslash love, input your information, and it'll be delivered directly to you.